Hello everyone and welcome back to Sensational, the special educational needs podcast. My name is Molly, Marketing and Events Officer from Withersack Group and I'm delighted to be joined today by two of our wonderful occupational therapists. Uh, We've got Maggie Morton and Laura Oliver for a discussion all about sensory support for primary school pupils. So Laura and Maggie, welcome to your first podcast with us. Hello. Hi there. If you could um, give us a little bit of background about who you are and how you work with our young people. Uh, Maggie, let's start with you. Hi there, my name's Maggie Morton, and I trained as an occupational therapist in Canada around 30 years ago now. Um, I have moved to the UK, live here and work for Witherslack now, um, and I have four children of my own. Um, whilst I've been working uh, as, a, as a children's occupational therapist, I've been really interested in uh and just how sensory works. And there's a sort of a saying that all research is me search. Uh, so as I've been going along and, and, and getting further qualifications in sensory integration, I've found out that that one of my children certainly has ADHD. Uh, and so I have lived experience as a parent of navigating systems uh, and trying to support, as well as supporting schools and families. Yeah, brilliant. And you, Laura? Yeah, hi, my name's Laura Oliver and I'm a senior occupational therapist and a sensory integration practitioner at Witherslack Group. Um, I work in the Yorkshire region across two schools, both of which have got primary school children um, and two children's homes. And um, I've been an occupational therapist for 18 years with the vast majority of that career being working with children and their families and in schools. So again, yeah, lots of professional experience. But similar to Maggie, um, I'm the parent of a neurodivergent child. Um, She's just this year started up at high school. So we've done the whole of the um, primary school career. Mm -hmm. So again, I've got that professional and personal experience of um, autistic children and those with ADHD. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you both. So... In the SEM field, we hear the term sensory support, sensory needs, sensory regulation quite a lot. So just can you give me a little bit of a short summary of what sensory support is and why our children might need it? Yeah, we all have times where we can take the sensory information coming in from the world, um, tune into it really effectively, hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see, block out the rest, feel tuned into our bodies and ready to do things. Um, And what's happening to us matches what we're expecting. And in those times, we're processing sensory information really well. And what we're then able to do and what we're able to produce matches largely what's expected. So what we would call sort of an an adaptive uh, approach to things, an adaptive response to things. Um, But for some of us, you know, and we'll dip into this, some of us ourselves, I get vestibular migraines. And so I know that sometimes my ability to balance and just to cope with all of the sensory can feel very different. Uh, but most, so there are kids who at times will find that they take in too much sensory information. They feel quite overwhelmed by especially a lot of visual uh, and a lot of, of auditory information, a lot of the sounds, sometimes it smells and tastes as well, which can affect how they manage it at lunchtime. Sometimes the other things we see are kids who we sort of feel like they're not engaging with us. We don't know quite why. Um, they might be the quiet kids who it's tricky to get them to answer questions and you, you you call their names four times before they respond to you. And those children are struggling with their sensory processing as well. They fly under our radar a bit more because they, they're not falling off their chairs. Um, and, and so... For those children, you know, it's it's looking at at what we can we do, what sensory information can we add or take away so that they can cope best with with the the tasks in front of them, um, but as well to have a really lovely, well rounded life so they can go home and be happy and and do things there as well. 
do their yeah. activities after school. Yeah, brilliant. And um, so, Laura, what are some of the most common sensory seeking behaviours in primary age children and what are the best ways that we can support them? I know Maggie touched on a, a few there. Yeah, so I think, yeah, from what Maggie was saying, um, we, we know that broadly speaking, um, children have sensory needs that can show in both sensory seeking and sensory avoiding behaviours. So um, briefly, children that avoid sensory input for loads of different reasons, um, they can be quite quiet, quite withdrawn, passive, and maybe even tearful or quite adamant, quite cross in their avoiding of sensory activity because it might be like really challenging or uncomfortable. Mm. But then I think... Um, those children, like Maggie said, can, can go under the radar and we do need to offer them support. I think in the classroom, the ones that parents hear the most about are our sensory seeking or sensory craving children. Mm -hmm. You've got a real high threshold for sensory input, so they're looking for it all the time. So in order for them to kind of register and recognise that sensory input, they need a lot more frequency, a lot more intensity and a lot more duration of that sensory input. So what you tend to see is these kids are fidgety, they're walking and pacing around the classroom, maybe rocking in their chair, the kids that are balancing on one leg and your heart's in your mouth because you're thinking, oh, that chair's going to slip. Um, they'll be spinning, jumping. And the kids that you see in the playground, like bashing and crashing in their play, bumping into the other kids, throwing themselves on the floor, frequently touching objects of other people, like seeking lots of touchy-feely kind of play the kids that love messy play but they don't want to stop when when you kind of um, come to the end of the activity and they're also the kids that we tend to see chewing and mouthing on things mm. um maybe their clothes or non-food objects or um like I said before like throwing themselves on the floor or even climbing there are there are prolific climbers the sensory seeking kids and I think the best way to support them is just to really get to know that child, know what different activities and practices help to regulate them and just make sure in the day there are lots of opportunities for that to happen mm -hmm. and even add some additional breaks in the day to make sure that that happens to offer them that sense of input. Um, and then those breaks or those periods of time where we're making sure that they're getting that input, it could be strategies that we just use playfully, just in play, just building them into our normal routines. It might mean that they need something extra, a sensory support or a sensory tool, mm. or it might mean that um, it's becoming so disruptive that perhaps it is impacting their learning or it's impacting their social skills, making friends or kind of just interacting in the classroom or at home, then we might get the advice from an occupational therapist just or a sensory integration practitioner just to make sure that they get a program that you can follow throughout the day that kind of helps them mm -hmm. but all activities that we do with our children whether they be sensory avoiders or sensory seekers we just need to make sure that they've got a defined period of time they've got a start and a stop because we can over we can dysregulate and, and kind of overwhelm some of the children if some of the activities go on for too long but it's just about really getting to know that child and building those activities and supports into the day yeah brilliant and I think it's probably important to say as well that, you know, we tend to think, great, we've solved it. They're seeking. So we need to give them lots and lots of things to do. Maybe I'll talk louder as well. Sometimes children can be sensory seeking for, you know, in one sense, but actually they might be sensory avoiders for other senses. So it's important to not try and put kids in sort of, uh, you are this box, you know, use what you know of the child to, to yeah. and, and follow their lead. Yeah, I bet it's yeah. quite hard there is to find that balance sometimes with, yeah, does it yeah. take quite a lot of 
my daughter is absolutely um, a sensory seeker in movement. She fidgets, she's lolling on the table, she's humming, tapping, touching, absolutely everything, but completely avoidant of noise and sound. Um, it's so overwhelming yeah. for her. So Maggie's exactly right. It's really tricky to kind of pigeonhole and it's just about getting to know your child and then advocating for their needs with the class teacher or, you know, friends, families, if they're out on visits and things like that. But absolutely, yeah, my daughter for sure fits into two camps. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so our next question is, uh, Maggie, this one's for you. What are our easiest way to integrate sensory activities into the daily lives of our children to help them build essential life skills? I think often a whole class approach works well. Um, I have never met a child that 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 tunes into <laughs> too much body-based awareness that's too aware of where their body is in space. Um, so most children will respond, you know, will either... Uh, won't have any difficulty if if you add in some extra movement. We have things nowadays like like you know you can look at your class and think you know you're looking really tired or you're looking really wiggly. Let's put on a go noodle tune and you know we can have a little dance. We'll do that. You know sometimes things like just maybe put your chairs backwards. Let's all sit differently so we're using different postural muscles. Um, and I wouldn't use the term postural muscles with children, but that change up of what they're doing then tunes them into their body some more and makes things interesting. Um, and I think it's it's you know, having, having a, a box of sensory tools available. We'll talk more about what sensory tools might be good later and describing them as sensory tools, letting kids know, you know, we have these things, you know, I like this, you know, this clicky, makes me feel really happy when I'm listening to things and I feel like I can focus better. Um, but it is a tool. And if I'm if my friend doesn't like the clicks, then I might have to find a different tool. And that's okay, too. There are lots of different things we can try in the box. There might be something that you like, there might be nothing you like, and that's okay, too. But having a sort of a whole class approach, where we're all going to meet our sensory needs, because all of our sensory needs vary day to day. I like the idea of calling them tools as well. I've taken to really making sure that I do that over the last 12 months even. So I'm growing and learning as an OT and a parent as well, because I feel like it helps it get taken a little bit more seriously. They're not toys. Yeah. They're not just silly fidgets or something that we're bringing into the class for fun. Although they can be fun, they do have that dual purpose. I think it's really important that we frame them as tools because they really are important mm -hmm. to help regulate. So just as much as... Um, you know a, a, a child might need a support that's a little bit more obvious like perhaps um for mobility access they might have a frame or a wheelchair or mm -hmm. for hearing access they might have a hearing aid it's not to minimize that some children who need sensory supports that's just as important to facilitate their access so we shouldn't minimize it so i think that by calling it tools somehow it raises their importance and it yeah. kind of helps that teachers and family and friends and, and and people in the family to understand it's super important that this child needs this in order to help them access their data like. Yeah. I think as well as we move through school, I think we do a better job and we expect to do more support for children to regulate their sensory needs when they're in early years, you know, so you might have um, a tent, uh, but, you know, by the time you reach, you know, year four or year five, your tent might be um, a little workstation, you know, mm -hmm. so that you feel like, you, you know, it, it, or it might still be a tent, you know, that might be what the child needs. Um, it might be that, you know, you have um, a, a wobble cushion on a, on a seat or even wobbles on the bottom of a chair to, to support children to get that little bit of movement, but then actually in a way that they don't have to get up and move and be disruptive. Um, there are lots of lovely rocker chairs now that fit into classrooms or wobble stools um, so that children can actually 
get the support they need um and and you, you see that they'll wiggle back and forth my my one of my my children is a gymnast um and she was quite deliberately a gymnast because she was always upside down and needed lots of, <laughs> of she was a very big sensory seeker and movement seeker and in school i think that she probably she used to upset teachers until they they found what they could use and put on chairs because she was because without those tools they're the kids that are going to rock the chairs who are going to scare you and you you know but <laughs> I think as well, you know, being committed to the fact that actually offering little and often breaks when you need to can also be useful and keep kids focused. So sometimes the best tool is just having a little envelope on your desk that you've sealed up and, you know, you can say to, to a, you know, can you do an errand for me? Can you take this to the office? Let the office know that, you know, at times you've got somebody who just needs to walk in the hall. If they could then hand them something else to bring back to you or a little message, then that's a great sensory break. So it doesn't always have to be all of the kit and caboodle. It can just yeah. be your approach. And I think the fact that, you know, you're here as educators uh, who are looking for extra information is, is the most important step and the most important thing in your classroom is you. Yeah, brilliant. And um, so from an OT's perspective, we, we, Laura, we spoke a little bit there about how your child, when she experiences this overload, how can you, what can we do to support them when they're experiencing that? Um, so I think the first thing that we need to do is check in with ourselves because you are the person or, or, or the teacher is, is the person that needs to be calm and regulated yourself in order to share that calm and regulated space and experience with that child. So really, first of all, first and foremost, check in with yourself. But I, I had an experience over the weekend where I had to do this because I've um, really excitedly been invited to an event that I need a fancy dress for. And so we went up to the Metro Centre and unfortunately where we parked, we didn't really think about it. We walked into the entrance where the arcades were mm. and McDonald's and Subway are and immediately too much noise, too much flashing lights and the smell, she hates the smell of McDonald's, mm. um, was overwhelming. And we were in a point where we didn't even, we couldn't even step inside the Metro Centre because it was so overwhelming. But I needed this dress and I was getting really stressed and I need to get inside and I need to get shopping. And my my husband was really good at being the one that stepped in at that point yeah. um, and said okay I'll take her back to the car just for a few minutes we'll drive around we'll find another entrance and we'll meet you at Boots or wherever it was that we were going to meet and it really needed him to check in to take control of the situation and say you know at the minute you're not even particularly regulated because you're working with anxiety yeah. or have you and, and I need to kind of take control of this situation acknowledging that also we all need you know different different things at different times mm. so check in with yourself and then try where possible to get them to a quieter calmer space so in this instance it was the car we took her back to the car to have a little bit of a um sit down reset rethink we're going to have a different plan we're going to go in a different entrance it's all going to be different so even if it's just a quiet cozy corner of a classroom yeah. or another room in the house just find a quiet space where the stimulation is a little bit more reduced and it's, there's not so much of that discomfort or overwhelm um, try to have the sensory tools available that um, your child has identified that are helpful. Mm -hmm. So like we've got ear defenders in the car um, and um, in a, um, like in my handbag. Um, some children who find that visual um, stimulation really overwhelming might want sunglasses mm -hmm. or you might want a weighted blanket. There are so many tools on the market, but just knowing what you can have with you that can help when overwhelm happens um, to help with regulation. Yeah. Um, go back to your normal techniques that you know that, that are familiar that are talked about really frequently things like supporting with low regular breathing or grounding exercises just to get us back in a space where we're connected we can listen to each other we can get ourselves nice and calm so breathing and grounding exercises can be super helpful and I think 
one thing that our um, speech and language therapy friends would really advocate for, and we do work really hard together to do, is try not to over communicate, mm. try not to use lots of words, try not to um, fuss in and, and making lots of suggestions, asking lots of questions. Let's keep our communication really minimal, really minimal choices. And this is where I think visual supports are super because um, you can really reduce that communication by just offering something to point to. What do you need? This or this? you know, kind of point to them or let's, let, where do we need to go? You point, which which direction are we going in? What will feel more comfortable to you? So really using those kind of visual, non-verbal supports can be really, really helpful in this instance as well. Yeah. And then um, when you think that you're back to that baseline, when you think that your child is regulated, try not to hurry back to class or hurry back to the activity that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it might need that you, you, need, you need to kind of just take that little bit of extra time to make sure everybody's at baseline, everybody's feeling comfortable comfortable and regulated before they go back so that might need a little bit of a drink building in or or a snack or even a little story or something just to make sure that everybody's where they need to be before we restart again yeah I think the visuals are, you know, I think that sometimes when we have kids, especially as sort of they're getting ready to leave and go into, you know, key state, you know, up into to secondary school, we we forget that none of us are at our best all of the time. You know, we've mm-hmm. all walked away from arguments and thought, I should have said that. That was the thing. <laughs> um, and I think when, when our kids are overwhelmed, it's the same kind of a thing. So visuals can, you know, although, you know, they they are sort of what we think about when we think about children who who have a, a lot of, of of speech language difficulties or who are maybe even nonverbal. They can support verbal kids. Personally, um, when my son was about five, um, out of desperation, really, um, we would always get into to a bit of a, a war about his bedroom, and he shared it with his brother, and his brother was very tidy, and he had this. He was not. Um, And so we made these visuals to support him with what he would do to tidy his room. And I was amazed because I just put the steps down um, and it gave him a reference point. And I guess when he was overwhelmed and fighting about the room, he spent so much time trying to push back and hope that someone else would do that. Or why can't I leave the things under the bed? And when it was a visual, all of a sudden, we got to, it, it was, it was under the bed. He'd always leave things. We got to the one before that. And he said, mommy, mommy, please leave the room a minute. And it was because he realized he hadn't done that step and he did it himself, he did it himself and he was pleased with himself. And there, so there's something about predictability and visuals, both so that children know what's going to happen now and next, but so that, that when they're overwhelmed, they can just, you know, have have what it is that they need without having to fuss with a with a long conversation about it. They're 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 such good tools and they really mean that you can you can reach children a lot more effectively um rather than a lot of chat because I, I I personally can talk a lot sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we actually have quite a few. We've we've had quite a few in-house visual supports made. If if you've got like a go-to one that you use, you would use in the classroom, or does it just depend on each child? I think it depends on each child. We're super lucky, obviously, um, because we work with a team of speech and language therapists. They've got software that can produce visuals, and if you've got access to that, absolutely brilliant. I think um, there are some online um, things that you can Google where you can do some kind of free visual making, but it can be just as simple as having a pad and paper yeah. and um, writing a word down or drawing a, a kind of basic picture. We have some um, mini whiteboards and whiteboard pens that you know are really lovely, you know, almost like Christmas card size that you can fit in your bag, mm. that you can quickly scribble some 
something down. So when you hear the word visuals, it does sound a bit fancy and complicated, but it doesn't need to yeah. be like that. It can just be something quick that just reduces that verbal communication and that processing of all the talking right. to just let's have a look. Let's just see if we can get this done quite quickly. And, and like I say, just a crude picture or one word or, or a symbol that might help to communicate that might be a little bit easier in that situation. It right. could be going into the fridge and picking up two things and saying, yeah. you know, you want this one on the yeah. you know, at home. Um, as well, you know, you could go right back and strip it back to sort of an object to, to offer uh, yeah, to, to, to just take all of the, the need to process language out. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so our next question is for you, Maggie. For children that are very aware of looking and feeling different, what are your sensory supporting strategies to help them in school? Yeah, I think that, like I touched on earlier, having a whole class approach as often is, is quite good. Nobody wants to be the person who has to use this, the, the, you know, this seat cushion right now. No one touch, you know, this special seat cushion, because I think that is quite stigmatizing. And I think that there is a lot of, you know, I think kids can get quite um, upset by by being singled out about things like that. But I think by and large in 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 primary a lot of kids are quite excited by sensory tools. They look bright, they look exciting, they look fun, and they're keen to use them. Um, as we get higher and into secondary school, it can be more challenging. Um, my son certainly is somebody who likes to have things to, to chew, um, and he dropped his uh, his chewy tags like a like a sack of bricks. Um, and so then we started talking about what we could use, uh, and I'd forgotten until just now thinking about you know going into the fridge that actually all kids usually carry a water bottle and so having a water bottle that he you know with a really solid lid that he could chew on was it was was a, was really helpful then um so i think a lot of it is, is being creative trying to offer to everybody because that is gonna it's gonna suit everybody's well-being well as as they're moving into sats as they're doing the tricky things um we're all gonna feel better if we get the sensory input we need to feel our most tuned in um, but equally then, um, perhaps if, if those kinds of strategies aren't working, seeing an occupational therapist or thinking, you know, I've given them this thing um, or the, the class has access to this um, and it, they, they're, they're worried about how it looks or this child is worried specifically about how it looks. What's like this? What's similar? You know, going mm -hmm. from a big um, something big to click um, to to paper clips to string or to a piece mm. of blue tack uh, yeah. might be all that's needed as well. So I think a lot of the um, companies that make and support us with sensory tools are um, really understanding of this now and that things are really moving forward and developing. And um, there are lots of alternatives on the market where they are thinking about um, sensory supports and sensory tools being a bit more discreet. So for example, um, where you classically might think about a child who's got noise sensitivity having ear defenders. Mm. We've got these really lovely in-ear um, earplugs now that help to reduce noise but not fully block it out. Mm. So there are a few of those on the market and they're very much now targeted um, for children. They've got children's versions. So oh. they're thinking about children's ears and children's sizing. So that's super helpful. Yeah. Things like... Um, instead of a child who might need that deep pressure from a weighted blanket to help them feel regulated but a weighted blanket's too visible and obvious weighted mm -hmm. lap pads that just go over the knee so that you're sitting discreetly under the table yeah. um, and, and not seeing it but still getting some of that feedback they even have hoodies um, don't they that are weighted yeah oh, wow. caps. 
So yeah, yeah. yeah. My son has been really lucky, and and now that he's he's doing his A levels and it started with his GCSE levels, really, um, they allow him to listen to music in headphones when he's doing oh, a task. They've really understood that actually he isn't good in an environment where it's completely quiet because then he he wants to figure out what's you know there's something sensory missing and he wants to sort of sensory seek, but actually you know too much noise and he can easily be be led into that so he has a playlist of things that that's approved by school and that he oh. uses and that helps him to focus and he does his best work for 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 his exams and that's one of his exam accommodations despite the fact that he doesn't have any hcp oh wow i think the most important thing is collaborate with the child yeah. bring the child in to have the discussion what what helps them feel comfortable and then explore alongside them yeah we've, we've come um from a secondary school point of view to a chew aid because you know my daughter still needs a chew aid that looks like a pen it's yeah. boring it's gray yeah it's you know but it's very much pen shaped and so it's a little bit more accessible it feels easier to kind of take out into a secondary school classroom but we did that together we sat down and we went on the we did our research together so I knew what she wanted and I had some ideas ready but we collaborated and it was yeah. like what works for you because I think that that's something that they'll have to do in the future yeah. is advocate for themselves and say what their needs are yeah. so if they've been in the process it helps them to say you know I've already tried that or I've already thought about that yeah. and this is what I need and I think so that's, that's I will idea. never forget a little girl who came to visit me when I was working in an SI space um very lucky to have it and she came in and she said my mom wouldn't let me come and knock on your door early I really need to be here because I am too big for jungle jumbo and it's not fair <laughs> <laughs> and she knew what she needed and yeah. she was struggling to get it and she was just desperate for 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 having a little bit of of, of time and and some time in the swing and and some sensory seeking time yeah. I think that's what I really loved what you were both saying before about um before we went on the podcast about the whole classroom approach in primary school and letting children know that they have access to these tools and then they can be like an advocate for themselves when they get to that age you know when more independence at high school if they've explored, if they've had the opportunity to have sensory tools and supports in the classroom and um, adults around them that help to support, acknowledge and, and, and kind of know that they've got sensory needs and it's not just behaviour. Yeah. If they've had the opportunity to explore that safely, I really do believe that then they do feel able to advocate for themselves later and to be able to say, no, I've tried that. You know, that doesn't work yeah. for me, but I really know that this thing does. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and hopefully then you will get teachers and adults and carers who will listen to their voices as well. You know, it's not just about what works in the classroom for the teacher. It's what works in the classroom for the learner as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, we certainly had to work through white noise and all sorts of other suggestions before we he was Quinn was finally allowed music um, I was going to say as well you the other thing you'll have is really grateful parents because there are a, a group of, 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 of children who who will like to comply who who because school is very structured can just about manage for the school day but they come mm. home and their life is really tricky because they've had to work so hard to make certain that they're doing their very best tuning in and they are done and they can't then engage with friends. Um, they can't do the after school activities that they might have been interested in. Um, and, and, and they might actually have a big meltdown and, and really mm. need parents to regulate them. So I think that by meeting their needs at school, you're, you're setting them up for, for a really lovely lifestyle, you know, so like, like Laura was saying, so they can advocate for themselves so they know what works. Um, but also so that they, they can, they can engage in all the activities they need to do to have, to be successful. I know schools are, are all, um, 
wanting to hear about what children's extracurricular successes have been so they can they can shout out loud about them acknowledge those and, and that's one way you can help those children and having those successes everywhere yeah yeah brilliant and then i think we're on our last question now so we spoke a little bit about these sensory tool gadgets <clears throat> can you both give me your recommended um gadgets for young people and where we could actually find them okay so i think um what we've discussed this kind of box of stuff in the classroom or things to explore is is super helpful um but it doesn't have to be off the shelf you don't have to be sending a fortune going out and buying stuff so there are some really lovely fidget tools um uh, there's a really lovely website called tink and stink which is really good for um the chew aids and fidget tools and a company called sensory direct again that are really um keen to make sure that the the bits and bobs that they sell are very safe mm. um but it doesn't necessarily have to be off the shelf and um, if that's not something that you've got access to quickly mm-hmm. um just like i think maggie picked up on it before and um, filling with a bit of blue tack or even a bit of um, velcro to get that extra texture to the fingertips or even just a little bit of string or a button i have my children on every beach that we go to finding what we call thumb stones so little stones that or pebbles that have been worn away by the sea but i've got a little groove where your thumb sits oh. so you can have it in your pocket and you stroke it with your oh with your thumb and we we have a wonderful time collecting Mm. those on the beach um i absolutely love from a personal point of view um if i was going to recommend one bit of kit that i've got a couple to talk about but Mm -hmm. one would be resistance band so you see that in the gym with our gym um buddies who are really (laughs) stretching and getting again getting bigger muscles using that that resistance but they're absolutely fabulous for stretching with our hands to get that real deep pressure feeling which can be really regulating but also for wrapping around the bottom of um chair legs so that feet can be fidgety. So children that are um, quite fidgety in their seat or pacing up and down in the classroom find it really brilliant because they can stretch their feet against it, bounce their feet on it and kind of basically fidget around with their feet on it and not need not need that um, walking around the classroom or too much body fidgeting because they've got that kind of concentrated in their feet. But again, it can be used for kind of stretching with your hands. And if you um, know that you've got some children who are sensible stretching with a partner you know it's really nice for kind of helping in that kind of play so resistance band if it's used safely is amazing um wobble cushions for chairs um are brilliant because they add that little bit of extra movement for fidgeting and i think maggie mentioned there are little um caps that can go on the chair legs as well that add a little bit of extra wobble at not very much expense what is a wobble wobble cushion i've never heard of that oh (laughs) so they're um air-filled cushions that you put on your seat and they may be textured or smooth that just um allow a little bit of movement so when you sit on them by the virtue of the fact that they're filled with air Ah, they make you wiggle a little bit so they give you that little bit of movement so that your body is receiving that without the child resorting to those really big fidgety behaviors those really big rocking behaviors or or kind of moving spreading out on the desk and touching out to other children yeah when they work they work really really super well we know they're alerting because they work on just that little bit of balancey kinds of things and our brain wants to keep us balanced it doesn't want us to hit our head so in our inner ears we have a sensor that tells us when our head's moving too quickly so our head moving on our base of support um gives us a little bit of the feeling that we might have as adults the last time that we we tripped and we lost our balance you know we we get our 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 limbs shoot out you know and, and and they straighten so we have that posture support but we also feel very awake all of a sudden yeah all right that's yeah. what children are doing when they and I think when we understand that, all of a sudden you think, okay, well then yeah. I, I know that they're not being, you know, deliberately disruptive. disruptive. They're yeah. not just, you know, trying to to 
you know, have a naughty corner over here that, that actually they're doing something that they need. Yeah. Yeah. The cushion for my daughter was the one thing that she knew she needed. Yeah. And she would tell you that's, you know, that's what she needed. Oh. And we talked about, you know, who's upset and, you know, care, you know, do children, you know, are they upset by these? I think when children need something, you know, my daughter carried a wobble cushion. My daughter was in a class actually, you know, they were the, the epitome of, of, of a whole class approach um, mm -hmm. because the, the, the teacher got in touch. He said, Maggie, what, all, all of these year threes are, are, are really making me feel quite anxious. I feel like <laughs> someone's not going to make it to the end of term before they, they bounce, you know, they, they hurt themselves. And so we were able to put in lots of, lots of cushions, but actually younger sister, the gymnast um, started carrying from class to class, a wobble cushion, um, you know, with, with, with no concern at all about yeah. what people thought. And it was, oh. it was passed around a bit and taken back. Um, and I guess the other thing I, you know, I like to say about, about the boxes is just sort of the thinking about, you know, what, what are the properties? Is it that they want something to squeeze? So they're getting lots of, you know, squeezy muscle information. Is it that they want something to click? So that's a bit more discriminative. Do they want something to loop in? So it's, it's, it's thinking about all of those different kinds of movements you can get in a box thinking about, you know, from an oral motor perspective, can we just offer drinking bottles? Can we make, can we put the bottles in the, in the freezer so that they're cold water? And that's a bit more alerting. Do we need to um, make it warmer water so that it feels a bit more relaxing and things? Mm -hmm. um, so there are lots of different little hacks you can do. Thinking about your classroom lighting, there'll be children who are absolutely distressed by fluorescence that that flicker at a rate that some of us don't perceive and some mm. of us do um and so finding out you know if if daylight's better or if, if if classroom lighting is better um if if there are too many displays on the wall you know mm. where do they need to be do they need a, a calm plain wall or do they actually need a bright busy wall to feel mm. alert there's a lot of things to consider in in, in the classroom as well as is with the sensory tools that, that, that laura's highlighted for us so well mm. Yeah, I think that's why it's really tricky for children in school and teachers to kind of meet everybody's needs. And that's why I think it's really nice to have that conversation with your teacher. I don't expect you to change the whole classroom, but is there an area of the classroom where we can have maybe a little therapy space where yeah. the stimulation is reduced? Maybe we've got a little dark den. They're brilliant little sensory dark dens. Again, they're available from various different companies, but Sensory Direct have them where they're just little pop-up tents that really help to reduce sensory stimulation, a little crawling space mm. where, you know, just a couple of minutes might really make the difference for regulation, where you can have maybe a weighted lap pad or a weighted blanket in there some ear defenders for those children who really find it overwhelming and tricky that can be a really brilliant space i remember um, seeing for primary kids as well someone saying put underneath the desks if the desk is low enough just put a little blanket make a yeah. make a writing cave and have them right <laughs> upside down then you know you get different different information into your arms all of a sudden writing's exciting yeah. um, or drawing's exciting and we like doing the task and i think the nice thing for us as occupational therapists is that often when we're adding more sensory in we're also giving children a really lovely basis to do their best gross motor work and to develop good fine motor skills as well yeah yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you both. That was a brilliant uh, episode. I think we've given lots of uh, good tools and advice there. Uh, so those websites, Laura, they were Sensory Direct and what was the other one you said? So one, um, the other one's called Tink and Stink, which is a really funny name, <laughs> but it's um, T-I-N-K-N-S-T-I-N-K. And you'll find that they've got a, a real um, vast array of, of sensory chewage of all different shapes and sizes and fidget toys and other, other sensory supports. It's a really lovely website. If you've enjoyed the 
listening to this podcast, please hit the subscribe button below and head to our website withersoftgroup.co.uk forward slash resources to find even more advice and support to empower your child's SEN journey. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next time.